if the guys are understanding what they're doing and how they're doing it and the analysis is clearly very accurate they can start to adapt their own methodologies to their game very very quickly you're listening to sports tech feed the global sports technology podcast hello and welcome to sports tech feed i'm your host thomas loams great to have you join us again this week on today's show, we have Nick Catterall, high-performance coach for Peak Power Golf. He specializes working with professional golfers and the PGA Tour, and for over 11 years, Nick has worked as a high-performance coach specializing in strength and conditioning, musculoskeletal therapy, and sports science for professional athletes, collegiate teams, and amateur athletes. Nick has a particular interest in the use of sports and assessment technology to provide evidence-based approaches to the improvement of athletic performance. His previous roles include with the Australian Olympic golf team, Australian cricket team, Brisbane Lions AFL club, and the two premiership winning years with the Brisbane Raw Football Club. Nick Catterall, high performance coach at Peak Power Golf. Welcome to Sports Tech Feed. Thank you very much for having me. So you might notice that our voices are a little bit crisper than the (laughs) usual Zoom call. And this is our first in-person interview in, I want to say like a year and a half, almost two years. So, um, Coming to you live from Austin, Texas, uh, center of the universe for everything sports technology, <laughs> if you ask me. Uh, but great to have you on the, on the show. And can you just outline for our listeners um, what you do in your role and, and how technology influences it? Yeah, well, firstly, thank you for having me. Um, it's great to have uh, to be here, especially in person after such a long, uh, you know, wait for for these restrictions to fall. But um, uh, what I do, I'm a high-performance coach, so I specialize in uh, musculoskeletal therapy, strength and conditioning, and the sports science side of uh, performance for golf. So um, I, I basically take a multi- multidisciplinary approach to uh, performance for the guys that I look after and um, and then do a whole bunch of contracting and some other stuff on, online that um, people that don't normally have access to, to the in-person stuff uh, would like online, so... And what are some of the athletes that you work with? Kind of what what levels, what range of... Um... So I predominantly work with PGA Tour athletes. Um, I travel about uh, 25 to 30 weeks of the year, which you know my wife doesn't like so much. But at the same time, it's, uh, it's a great living. And it's a great uh, great way to, to be in, uh, you know, able to explore my, my career. And, and the guys that, uh, that I work with are amazing. So it's, uh, it's a nice environment out on tour and... Um, like I said, predominantly PGA Tour athletes. I do work with uh, collegiate athletes and then I contract to the general public and then some amateurs as well. And so, I mean, your title is is high-performance coach and focusing on golf. High-performance and golf in the same sentence um, isn't something that you commonly <laughs> heard or commonly hear, uh, I would say. Uh, really, the traditional conception of golf is, is a gentleman's game and um, maybe some, some gents that have uh, had, you know, live 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 large and then you know you retire and you play golf and all that kind of stuff like that was the traditional conception of of golf as i guess players and also not really referring to them as athletes but obviously that's changed if you look at the modern tour now and and how they play you know how hard they're hitting you know how many you know how many reps essentially they're putting in like how often they play and just how grinding it is um they're definitely athletes. So how has that changed? Like how has that changed from being um, that conception and then to what we have in, in 2021 and beyond? Um, it's it's a really good question because if you, if you look at the, the history of, of golf and to be fair, I wasn't necessarily into golf before I got into golf, which was in around, you know, 2009, 2010. 
Um, I didn't really know what golf really was. Uh, I wasn't ever brought up with golf and I wasn't ever told that golf was a real sport. And so naturally when I grew up, I never thought of golf as an actual thing that you did if you wanted to go and exert some energy or if you wanted to go and have some fun, like it was just something that... It was a, it was a pastime, not a sport. Exactly. And, um, and, and to, to be in the sport um, for myself and seeing the changes when I first got into golf to understanding that the athletes are unbelievably talented and skillful and athletic in their own right... Um, having that development um, for myself is, is, is great to see what's happened with the industry ever since sort of Tiger got involved. So, and who were the athletes you were working with kind of before you just purely focused on golf? Uh, so I worked with uh, basic, uh, basically codes back in Australia, rugby league, rugby union, um, AFL, cricket and soccer. Yeah, so kind of all the groups that we yep. would traditionally think as high-performance exactly. athletes. Yep. So yeah, you know. kind of that comparison. And, and so was that, is it... <laughs> I mean, there's obviously uh, nuances in everything, but to kind of really boil it down, was it Tiger Woods that basically set off this revolution in terms of how um, the athletes train and how they're viewed? Yeah, if you ask me that, that, that he was the athlete that turned everything for, for the industry, basically because uh, they call it the Tiger Factor. Um, but um, there was a lot of other really good quality, high, you know, professional golfers at the same time and if you if you have a look at who they were they were all doing very wonderful things um you know jack nicholas arnold palmer blah 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 you know which were a little bit before uh tiger's era um and they they did amazing things with the equipment that they had but now you look at the 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 game in today's um in in today's view we've got the the most unbelievable equipment in the sport that the sport's ever seen um the I suppose the uh, individualization of that equipment for each uh, athlete uh, is is much more specialized now. Um, you've got athletes diving into you know the athletic training component. You've got athletes diving into um, the mental side of things, the nutritional components. So when we look at what Tiger did for the industry, um, he basically told everyone that this can be an athletic sport. And he said, you know, he came out and, and performed at extremely high levels and very consistently. Um, some of the the um, accolades that he has is is shocking to see, like how many events that he won in a, in a single in a single year, how many majors he has, you know, the list goes on. And he did it very athletically and with a great amount of suave. And so, like, uh, with having him... Um, and Nike behind, uh, you know, such a uh, a force to be reckoned with. He brought the the industry and the golf um, uh, scene into a, a new light. And I think a lot of people sort of understood after a little while that, you know, it's not just something that you do on the weekends for fun. Well, I mean, obviously for the general public it is, but uh, it is actually a sport. It is athletic, um, and it is something that's extremely difficult for the majority. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. And, and so, what role did uh, sports science and technology play obviously with tiger but then with kind of where we see for example the pga tour today like what role is is science and tech playing um in that evolution well i think it it sort of comes down to what it sort of started with and um the 
the original view was that there wasn't really like basically you just had to feel everything and there wasn't really a lot of uh, analysis on what the ball was doing what the club was doing um and then what you were doing so we had this nice big jump um in in golf's history where the club companies um sort of started analyzing things from a, a new point um a lot of the guys now have what we call uh, the trackmans or flight scopes or um you know doppler radars or, or photo um uh photographic uh, analysis for uh, ball and club data and so they've got this at their fingertips on a daily basis now whereas beforehand it was probably only in a in a um a like a clinic setup or a uh, you know a manufacturer's setup where you went and you tested everything out. So now that we've got these uh, amazing pieces of equipment at our fingertips, um, the guys can get you know feedback straight away. So um, and the feedback that they get is is ridiculously good. So if if the guys are understanding what they're doing and how they're doing it, and the analysis is is clearly very accurate. Uh, they can start to adapt their own um, you know, methodologies to their game very, very quickly. And so, um, you know, a lot of guys now have the radars beforehand um, when they practice before uh, they go out for their rounds. They just want to make sure that what they're doing and what they feel is is happening. And And so, you know, a lot of guys are very old school. They don't like that kind of stuff. They only want to have it at the start of the week or they only want to do it um, at certain periods of time in the season. But at the same time, like... Uh, you know, you'll see most of them, if, if they need a little bit of clarification or confirmation on something that they're feeling or seeing, then they'll, they'll go and use, uh, a, you know, a, a trackman or something like that that will give them that feedback. So the, the technology side of things, and that's, you know, one side of it. The technology side of things and the software side of things is, is booming. Um, we're getting more and more of these um, uh, pieces of equipment that are a lot more um, accessible because of the how inexpensive the the, the um, hardware is these days, so um, more often than not, that we, we actually if we do see something that we like, it'll be something that is gotten as opposed to you know oh we need to push that till you know we can afford it or something like that. Yeah, well you can only access it say well once once a year or something like that, and I think the the point you made there is, is around democratization of technology. And that's something that kind of cuts across the whole sports technology into fitness, health recovery um, world is technology, especially hardware is becoming cheaper and more accessible. So something that was only available for the elite elite um, in the military or in high performance sport um, can now be available for say amateurs or, or people lower down on, on the, uh, the rankings in, in golf. And obviously where you're on the rankings and your tour winnings determines how much money you have available to spend on things that were seen as discretionary, um, you know, high performance coaching, all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's actually make putting it in the hands of, of everyone. Uh, and I think something that, um, say whoop bands, for instance, um, is, is the one that I always call out that the tech that's involved in that, um, is not, is not new. It's, it's been around for a long time, but just being able to package it into one simple unit, and then have the analysis on the other side um, is is something new and also something very closely aligned with golf. I think we see the the yeah. PGA Tour using the uh, and the Ryder Cup using live um, whoop band data with the athletes, um, which is is kind of funny because I think it was Rory McIlroy was going for a putt and then um, 
I recently gave a lecture at uh, Loughborough University London. I used this example because they also use the data in, Na- in NASCAR. Mm-hmm. And the NASCAR driver going, what is it, 250 kilometers an hour, his heart rate was lower than Rory McIlroy <laughs> attempting a putt um, in terms of like stress levels and stuff, which was, was interesting. That's amazing, isn't it? And is that is some of those technology tools like what do you actually use, yeah, on on the on the tour and how do you find with the movable movable feast that is golf? I mean, you don't have a home base as as much. You don't have a home ground. You are just traveling the world to different courses that'll have different facilities that'll have different setups. You'll have different time. Like, how do you manage that? It's extremely difficult, um, but also you know it's its own beast. Um, and it's a funny story with the the technology that um, you know we have is it, it all has to be fairly well portableized um, because if it's not portable, um, not sure if portableized is a word, but I just made it up. If it's not, it is now. It, it is, is now. now. Um, if if it wasn't portable before, it is now. And um, most of the stuff that we have, um, we look at say human per- uh, performance as an as an optimizing uh, way of of looking at it. So if you if you think about, you know, um, athletic performance, we're trying to optimize that. And if there's anything that can measure some part of that, you know, obviously we can get carried away and, and lose ourselves in the, uh, you know, the whole paralysis by analysis deal. But um, if there's simple and easy things that we can use uh, and information that we can collect that's going to help us make informed decisions, um, especially for performance, then we're going to do it. And so the the whole WHOOP deal is a very interesting conversation because, um, probably about five years ago now, um, one of the guys on tour, Scott Stallings, he he sort of said to his trainer um, Adam Curley and and myself and a whole bunch a bunch of other guys that were on tour that had access to players, he said, well, I'm going to meet up with these Whoop guys and um, figure out if they've got something that might be um, you know viable to use on the road as a as a sleep recovery. Um, Way, a way of being able to see sleep recovery strain and resistance and um, we all sort of kind of laughed at it you know like a little bit just like oh this would be interesting you know this guy's you know going to come and show us a piece of tech that i'm sure that they've been hammering away at for a while which is clearly worthless um and when stallings uh, showed us to to the whoop guys and we had a good conversation they showed us the technology and he gave us one a few years ago um i've worn it ever since so i've had this whoop on for five to six years i would say collecting data just sitting there taking away you know what i can from it and implementing um you know uh, i suppose uh strategies in relation to knowing myself knowing you know what i can do as just a, a normal person and then being able to take that on the other end of the scale and looking at the high performance side of things looking at um, you know, how much deep and REM sleep we're getting and, and, you know, trying to, to strategize how to optimize performance at different points and times in, in the week, in the season and, um, you know, in the year. So, um, Whoop's been an amazing tool for the realization of simple things that we can do to be able to, uh, tick the box of, of, you know, um, high performance in different categories. So, you know, we have strain, we have, even though the, 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 the whoop algorithm for golf is a little bit skewed at the moment, just because of the uh, accelerometer bias with, um, 
you know, with because it's on your arm, you're moving your arm a lot, and there's you're doing that for about six hours. So yeah, you're whipping your arm around a golf swing, and Weep will just be like, "Whoa, what's going on here?" Like, exactly. Yeah. It's kind of like you're doing, you know, six thousand power cleans every day. Yeah. You know, it, it sort of doesn't really have the ability to to uh, look at uh, external stress um, as much when you're talking about um, the you know strength component but at the same well, time yeah I'm, I'm sure will armored would love um we had him on the podcast and i'm sure he'd, he'd love me saying well actually with whip 4.0 they have, yeah, have yeah. shirts and, and wearables so you can smart textiles and all that kind of stuff so oh it's good i've had the opportunity to pick will's brain a few times now because he's heavily involved in golf and um it's amazing what they're doing now and what they're looking at doing in the future, um, possibly what they're already doing. <laughs> yeah. And so the 4.0 is going to be very interesting to see what else they can milk out of that as well because the devices they're coming up with now are just so um, extremely um, analytical and accurate. So it, it's, it's good. It's going to be interesting to see. But that's just obviously one component to, to what it, you know we have, our, we, we have access to. So. And so what are some of the other stuff? So obviously Whoop's great because it's all in one and I mean, or insert, you know, health tracking device here um, in terms of the wearable stuff. Um, and that's probably the area that's been pushed the most in terms of this democratization area. Um, what about other things? I mean, I think about the example of UT up the road here, you know, the, you've got all your linebackers throwing, throwing tin as the phrase is, you know, <laughs> you've got a big weights room. They have um, the best sports performance stuff that money can buy um in terms of that strength and conditioning side of it um obviously ut have a massive facility that they can go to every week they have home games they have that they can go in the off season and stuff like that space and money is no object how does it work when you are staying at a golf course that may have a gym that is built for its members who are usually over 70 and probably just using an elliptical machine to get a little <laughs> bit of a, a warm-up before they go yeah. play 18, 18 holes. Like, how does that actually work with the facilities on the tour? The uh, A lot of the golf courses we go to are renowned golf courses, but they haven't really picked up on the training component yet. So. Yeah, there's no one, there's no one doing... Um, 300 pound you know deadlifts or whatever else exactly we'd be lucky if the dumbbells go past 50 pounds so um it it is difficult um we do take a lot of um, bands and equipment with us um there's a um uh, an awesome uh, family that that travel from tournament to tournament um carrying our boxes of equipment that we we hire from them and um, if we didn't have those guys, it would be extremely difficult to move equipment from place to place. Um, the the Hulkers up in Phoenix do a great job with that. And um, so we're able to actually take kettlebells, dumbbells. Um, we're able to take pieces of equipment. I'm able to take a force plate. Um, we're able to take accelerometers. You know, um, each person out on tour has their own weird and wonderful way of doing things. Um, so whatever they have uh, that they need to travel with, they're able to do it in, in some way um, or fashion that's not just taking it on the airplane as well. Yeah. Even though a lot of them travel privately, it's still, you know, you're still obviously um, restricted by weights and balances and um, and it's not just something that you want to carry around a fair bit. So, um, you know, when we get into a gym that doesn't have a lot of the equipment, we have to adapt, we have to be malleable, we have to be pliable in relation to what strain we're actually putting on the body and how that is going to affect their performance as well. So um, a lot of the times it's not just, 
saying we're going to scrap that or do that. We're just going to try and adapt and do it differently um, and try and not uh, or try and at least count account for some new sort of strain and, and, and put that in the, in the program and put that in the system so that it's not going to be, uh, you know, detrimental to their, their performance usually at the end of the week. So is it um, is blood flow restriction um, BFR cuffs? Is that is that something that you use to, I guess, account for the lack of weight? It's not a, a, a tool that I've had a lot of experience with, so I'm, I'm naturally a little bit hesitant to stay away from it, but I know a couple of guys who've had great results with it, um, and they do use it for uh, training in, uh, for example, when we don't have a lot of equipment um, to try and still maintain uh, those baselines that they have that they went into the, the tournament week with. So... Um, the majority of the um, guys will end up trying to find if the gym isn't great on the at the facility. I forgot to mention too, though, that the PGA travels with two trucks, uh, two big trailers and trucks, and one of the trucks has a fully equipped gym um, to some degree. It's it's got a squat rack um, and it's all foldable into when the truck you know wants to pack up and and set up. Um, it folds out and you know it's a massive semi truck so that travels from tournament to tournament they set up and pack up uh, and they do a great job for the guys uh, in providing a facility that's not just relying on what yeah what's at the club but obviously you've got to manage between trying to get all the athletes in there and and timing that exactly yeah. yeah there's 125 guys i mean there's obviously not 125 guys that love training but there's 125 guys that have access to that facility so that you know timing throughout the week is is obviously pretty hard um and often more often than not, if you get sort of fifteen people in there, it's it's that's kind of uh, sardines type type deal where you got <laughs> you don't have any room to move and you can't yep. throw weight around because you're going to hit someone. So um, you know it has its limitations, obviously, but at the same time, it does have uh, we do have the ability to at least uh, you know go in there and try and do something. So where does the knowledge transfer come from? So if we talked about you know Tiger coming in and, and kind of changing the game for golf and and using traditional in air quotes um and by traditional i mean in other athletic pursuits um other athletic sports using the training tools and the kind of programs that they did where does the the knowledge transfer come from with new technology is it is it from there'll just be one guy or, or gal on the tour that's just like really pushing the envelope and everyone kind of looks to them or do you look to other sports um it's really funny because uh, the the sports science side of things in golf for golf itself is actually quite highly advanced and has been quite highly advanced for a little while. Um, and if you look at other sports, you know, uh, I suppose the equivalent is looking at like GPS data or uh, motion capture or tracking for um, different athletes in different sports, uh, especially team-based sports. Um, what we have in golf is actually quite highly advanced, uh, not on the course, but when you're talking about, you know, the analysis side of things and when we're looking at, um, you know, the information transfer is what you were saying is is the the development of what we want to look at has actually been quite advanced and quite quick. Um, so we had the technology, whether it was developed in a lab or not, it was another thing. But um, when the athlete wants to know what's happening with their body, we have, um, you know, we have uh, companies called Swing Catalyst, um, Gears, we have uh, so motion capture technology, 3D motion capture technology, um, and we also have a um, there's a guy called Dr. Rob Neal who sort of set up uh, his own way of doing um, the looking at 3D mechanics with um, his system. Um, we have you know 
we talk about like the the you know the more expensive equipment coming down to the more cheaper equipment um you know there's, there's a company called kvest which has a, a harness for a couple of grand i think it is where it'll give you um you know timing and sequencing of of your body segments in space uh so their inertial sensors will, will pick up on that so um a lot of these companies have been developing their products for a very long time um gears is probably the newest uh product on the market and then we've got these 3D force plates called uh, from GASP that provide you with all this weird and wonderful information about what's happening, you know, with the ground and, and your, your levers and... The weight um, transfer between, yeah. Exactly. And, um, and your moment arms and, and whatnot. So there's a whole bunch of information out there if you want it. And that has been, de- been developing over a long period of time, which has been amazing. So athletes have had access to this information for a while and they're just really starting to understand what it means for them in their golf swings coaches have probably had to develop very quickly if they didn't have a very good understanding of their you know the human body they certainly do now um the ones that stick around anyway um and the one in those high performing roles so um the companies that have sort of pushed the commercialization of it and pushed the the development of it are you know, companies like uh, MyTPI or the Titleist Performance Institute, uh, who run programs and they run educational seminars to be able to push out this information to the general public and get them well informed and and at least try and start the conversation of of the coach talking to the uh, the athletic trainer or the the physical therapist or the chiro or the the nutritionist you know so that everyone's on board and contributing to that performance um you know um uh, profile i suppose yeah so that's really interesting and that's that's certainly something that probably by the the leading question i asked i i was i was incorrect in my assumption that it was um golf was looking outward going well where can we find this um this help with these these analytics and and the high performance side of it whereas actually it's developing itself and i think that's um interesting that you've seen uh, i mean josh the quarterback for the the uh, uh buffalo bills josh allen um was a very famous example recently in the off season he basically worked on his throwing mechanics Yep. Um, and a lot of that computer vision stuff and the analysis stuff is what you're talking about that's actually entrenched in golf. Yep. So you're taking a sport like football, NFL, um, and that was seen as, wow, this is you know a brave new world, amazing that he did this. He used a whole bunch of different tools um, kind of across the, the spectrum of what's available, um, but it sounds like golf is actually at the, the cutting edge of that. So kind of, And I guess also that is the mechanics of the sport lend itself to that. You yes, know, you are. Yeah. You have a stationary person, stationary human doing the same repeatable yeah. mechanics, um, and you can basically track that and improve that as opposed to a you know a soccer player running at full sprint. Yeah, exactly, um, and you know the, the athletes that uh, have been sprinting and whatnot, they've got timing gates and motion capture as well. Um, you know, and 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 golf's definitely taken a lot of that information um, from the industry, and then developed their own protocols and their own way of doing things. Um, but you've also got, um, you know, golf. Sort of, I, th- I think if you were to take any sport that it would pull off, it would be pulling off baseball a little bit, um, just because the mechanics are somewhat similar, um, and you get a lot of. Um, I suppose uh, transference from the information that you use with uh, you know a swinging pattern from from um, from baseball as you do with golf, 
in relation to the transference, the 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 way that you set up, the, you know, the the distribution of weight, the um, you know, the timing. You've got a whole bunch of different mechanical uh, similarities, I suppose, that you would have. If not, obviously, it's a different sport, but you know, it's probably the closest that we have to you know looking at something where we're going. Okay, well, that's pretty damn close. What are they doing really well? What are we doing, you know, not so well? How can we implement those sort of strategies to get more out of, you know, a, a drive off the tee or, you know, what else can we be doing to be able to sort of milk, you know, the, the guy's athletes or the, or the girl's performance uh, as much as possible? And what's the next evolution there? So, I mean, we've gone from, say, Tiger where it was just going this big leap from a pursuit to an athletic sport and, and taking those well-established protocols, training regimes and sports science tools and applying that to these athletes. And then, as you've said now, golf developing its own protocols, working with other sports, working with the vast array of technologies that are available. Where does it go? Is it it just golf um, kind of developing it more in-house? Is it, I mean, what's what's the next thing? Is it AI, computer vision? Is it being able to do it on your phone, just getting everything smaller and cheaper? Yeah, I think um, that's, that's this crystal ball question. I always leave it for the end because I mean, you can, it's it's a bit of a, it's a free shot. You can say whatever you want, <laughs> flying cars, whatever it is. No, it's a great question because uh, it's something that we're always on the lookout to to sort of explore, and and um, a lot of very educated people who I listen to and um, my mentors back in the day were were very much ingrained in you know eighty percent um, knowledge base, twenty percent flair, and um, you know that might be. 20% experimental flair um, or 20%, you know, do what you think is right as opposed to what you know uh, and use your gut, that kind of stuff. But stick to the stick to what we know, stick to, you know, how we do things because it's tried, tested and it continues to develop in its own way um, and form. So I think that what we're looking at doing now in and progressively getting better at is using and utilizing the information that we have um, and the implementation of those protocols and practices is getting just getting really good at, at doing them and making sure that when we tick those boxes, we're not just ticking them, we're actually, you know, stamping them um, and, and, and making sure that what we've implemented is actually being followed um, to the letter so that when we measure it and when we analyze it again, we can see if it was an effective uh, transference of what it was to what it is now and make those decisions based on, you know, reliable data whereas it's probably a little bit hard when we're out in the field to get reliable data so we're just trying to stick to those protocols that we've put in place um, via looking at research and whatnot to be able to get the most out of it however um, having said that i think that um, now that we've got more um, interest in gambling in in golf i think there's going to be a lot greater room for movement with machine learning and statistics for on-course play. So um, the, I think that the, the technology that we have in golf now is, is awesome, but a lot of it isn't fielded on the course. The technology that we're going to have on the course um, in the next couple of years is going to be ridiculous um, because it's real-time capture um, the statistics, uh, so the, basically the punters are going to be out of bet, you know, on spot, um, whether someone's going to make a putt or miss a putt or, you know, what the, st- what the statistics are. So what was possibly, um, you know, 
someone going, okay, well, your ball's landed on the fairway. You know, they're going to be within an, you know, a couple of inches of where that ball's landed. Whereas, you know, a couple of feet makes a very big difference in, in golf, especially on approach shots, uh, landing it on the green. You know, if you're six feet out versus eight feet out, the statistics are extraordinary uh, with people missing it or making it, um, you know, and within four feet, you know, or three feet, um, you know, 95% versus a 90% make, that's kind of very, very interesting and, and intriguing for uh, the people out there. But if they screw up the, the numbers, you know, they screw up the, the method of, of being able to calculate that, and it makes it very difficult for um, the interpretation of those stats as an athlete to be able to go, okay, well, I, f- I thought I was five feet. Or, you, know, you know, it wasn't a three-feet putt, but, you know, it was a five-foot putt, but I made it. And they're telling me I made a three-foot part or something like that. So there's a lot of discrepancy or at least room for error or standard error in, in, um, in relation to the, the, the uh, stats that they're getting now. So they do look at them very, very closely, but they also know what they're you know, thinking and what they know is, is true is probably they go with their gut as well. And so, which is always, you know, what I would recommend as an athlete. But so I think that what we'll see is a lot more statistics, a lot more machine learning, a lot more um, predictability in relation to what's going to come out of those shots and what's going to come out of the athletes and where those athletes are going to do well on which courses and whatnot. I think there's going to be a lot of people um, really probably making a lot of money off off the analysis of that and a lot of the uh, the calculations in, in that as well. And that's what we've seen with with sports previously we the analytics revolution that uh whipped through baseball which was um obviously kind of the first wave of it and then through basketball and things like that and if you can then apply the data obviously sports betting is the revenue driver behind it so let's let's not pretend that's not a huge important part of it is that is that there's money in it so people will be attracted to it and you know some of the best minds um in terms of the analytics field, will be attracted to it and be able to pay them and all that kind of stuff and, and the revolution of sports data, but also being able to put that um, back into the hands of caddies and of the, the golfers themselves to go, well, this is what the data says for what your shot selection should be, yeah, where should go, where it's placed, um, yep, based on the million shots that have landed here before and yep. based off how you do it and, and things like that. So... That'll be something interesting to see how that's implemented. Obviously, um, a lot of it's gut yep, and most of it's gut. But as with anything in analytics, it's how does that support the coach, the caddy, the the athlete um, with their decision making? Absolutely. And then you can obviously make uh, you know, the best um, decisions about what you're doing after that. So... Um, if you've got the right information, it's easy to make uh, the best choice. But if the information is somewhat unreliable or if it's invalid to any degree, then, you know, you're obviously sort of left with a, an opinion as opposed to what's actually uh, a fact. Yeah. And that's definitely why I suck at golf. because <laughs> I don't have all the data available. Um, to exactly. Me. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Me too. Me yeah. too. Poor shot selection I'll, every I'll, single time. Yeah, that's right. That uh, I recently got a, a nice uh, set of clubs, so I'm, I'm sort of destined to become an amazing golfer now that I've got somewhat some of the information and the equipment side of things sorted. So uh, yeah, that's you know, how it works. Yeah, the, you, the more money you spend, the better you get. Exactly. I, I know that as a triathlete as well. The more carbon fiber you have on your on your bike, if your bike could be sent to Mars, yes, with the amount of carbon fiber it's on it, exactly, you yeah. just are quicker. You're gonna win. Exactly. 
That's good. 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 We're on the same page on that. Yeah. Um, thanks so much for your time, uh, Nick. It's been it's been great to chat in person. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, really interesting about. And I personally learn a lot. I think it's kind of the. Um, I thought my assumptions were were uh, I was a little bit more informed than I was. So it's always a great moment to to have uh, the learning from it. And before we go, one final question for you: What is your favorite sporting moment of all time? Oh, sporting moment of all time would have to be a couple of years ago when Tiger Woods won the Masters. Um, I was lucky enough to speak to him that week, uh, see him in action that week. Um, he was on the uh, the therapy table next to me and I have never seen anyone so dialed in as that before. And I'll take this to my grave as the greatest sporting moment I've, I've been a part of in relation to what I've been able to see and experience. Because uh, I don't think I've ever seen it in an athletic experience uh, like that where I've seen an athlete just absolutely cut out the noise and get a job done just like looking very, um, I suppose, at the at the picture in relation to what he had to do, what he had to get done. The pressure was on him um, because he'd come back from injury uh, and surgery and... You know, he wasn't necessarily in the, in the finest form, but he he had the determination, the grit, and the ability that week to be able to do it. And uh, and seeing him progress that week was was one of the greatest moments of my uh, career for sure. Um, it followed very closely by uh, two premiership wins with uh, with the Brisbane Roar back in the day when uh, the the soccer um, league in Australia was was gearing up to be something quite large. So um, they were uh, that was both a lot of uh, a lot of fun. But yeah, Tiger being the athlete that he was, being as dominant as he was, and seeing him do what he did um, and you know come back from everything that he got down from was just unbelievable. Well, that's a nice symmetry. We started talking about Tiger. We finished talking about Tiger. So that, that <laughs> All was comes great. full circle. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks so much um, for your time today, mate. And uh, we really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate having me on. And there you have it. That was Nick Catterall, high performance coach for Peak Power Golf. Uh, in our first in-person interview in a long, long time, which feels like decades, but it's only been about two years. And something that I really learned a lot from, I think I said that at the interview, um, certainly some of my preconceived notions, even from a little bit of research, were challenged. So it's great to have uh, Nick share his expertise with us and, and have that in person and, and be back to it uh, in that respect. So I appreciate Nick coming on the show and really interested to see where the sport of golf as a sport beyond just a pursuit goes in terms of athletic performance. As always, I've been your host, Tom Salomes. Thanks for joining us on Sports Tech Feed. Oh.